This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Lendit Fintech, and joined, as always, by my good friend and colleague, Todd Anderson. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. How are you? Doing great. And our special guest this week, um, in front of a wall of whiskey, again, is uh, <laughs> Andrew Dix from Crowdfund Insider. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing well. It's good to see you, Peter. Good to see you, Todd. You as well, Andrew. All right. Busy news week. Let's get right into it. Um, I want to start off with, uh, with Stripe. They, um, they basically made an announcement. It was yesterday, a new product called Financial Connections. And that's sort of basically copying exactly what Plaid does, connecting, um, connecting everybody with banks all over uh, the country, 90% of US banks, you know, we all know Plaid, that's how we kind of access banks, um, connect our banks um, through, you know, when we're connecting banks to other services. And, you know, we, what, what, what Stripe has done is something basically exactly the same. Zach Parrott, I think this was uh, really interesting to see this unfold in real time, went on Twitter and basically accused them, not, not necessarily accused them, but sort of implied that they were, they were stealing secrets from uh, from uh, Plaid, and uh, there was a bit of a back and forth there. He also went on to a Hacker News forum. Super interesting to see all this uh, all this unfolding. But uh, what are your thoughts, guys? I think there's there's kind of two elements to the story. There's the the brouhaha and the the fighting and the, the fun and the um, kind of going after one another on on Twitter or or whatever circle. And then there's the actual product. Uh, and from what I've read, I mean, it seems as if, you know, Stripe is trying to create, and in many ways they've created a, a Stripe ecosystem, which is keeping everyone in Stripe to get everyone using Stripe products. And this is a, another element to that to increase transaction volume and to uh, oh, hopefully drive up uh, revenue and um you know, create that ecosystem, which seems like Apple's doing similar ecosystem, not necessarily exactly the, the same way Stripe is, but Amazon's ecosystem, Apple's Stripes, it's like these ecosystems that are kind of walled off in some ways. Um, but then the the fun part is that, you know, there was actually, I mean, we haven't had one of these in a while, um, like a real... Um, you know, Twitter, I don't know, I wouldn't say war, but a little Twitter, Twitter, Twitter punch up, a Twitter yeah, punch, a little scuffle, <laughs> uh, that, um, you know, Platt responded to pretty quickly after the news broke. And I think that was, it, it made the story more interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Andrew's thoughts are. Yeah. Um, so, um, I haven't had a, a big chance to, to dig into this, but I will say that the CFPB is looking at this now. And I think everybody kind of understands that, that a form of open banking or open finance is the future. It's just how it's regulated. And you have some very powerful voices with some profound interests 
as to how that ends up. Now, Chopra has said that this is one of the you know, items on the top of his list, but he has yet to do anything. And that leads me to believe there's a lot more going on in the background than we are aware of right now, where you have fintechs, some fighting amongst themselves on one side, and then you have older finance on the other side, because they like to kind of keep the things the way things are right now. And I think that's the the bigger story between the lines right now and what's going on here between, you know, Stripe and Plaid and open finance and open, mm-hmm. open uh, banking. That's my spin. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, Andrew. You're probably right. But, uh, but, you know, I was surprised and Zach was sort of sharing publicly his thoughts and, uh, the, the, you know, are now going to be part of the public record forever. Um, and what he thinks and, uh, you know, Stripe responded, um, both on Twitter and on Hacker News on the forum that, uh, that, Zach was uh, typing into there, and it was uh, just uh, super interesting. And you know, obviously, it, it's, it sounds like from what Stripe is saying that Plaid were invited to participate in this, but didn't, and they went with MX and Finicity. You know, Finicity, obviously, uh, direct competitor to Plaid, and MX is to some extent as well. But um, it, it is interesting because MX and 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 Plaid are are kind of collaborating a little bit. And I will say this, both of those firms are very sophisticated when it comes to inside the beltway and lobbying. And mm-hmm. So this is right, MX, MX and not Amex. Yeah, Amex. Amex, Amex is, yeah, they, they hired somebody, I think it was from Senate Banking last oh, year. okay. I didn't know that. I think, I think so. I didn't know that. Okay, great. Okay, let's move on. Um, we uh, we want to talk about the um, crazy weekend that in the world of crypto, where Ethereum basically broke. I think it was Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. Um, there was the largest NF- NFT sale in Ethereum history. Um, this metaverse other side. This is run by Yuga Labs, which is the people behind the Board Ape Yacht Club NFT collection, which is one of the most expensive collections. And it was crazy. I mean, gas fees are normally pretty high on ethereum and they went to you know you're talking like a couple hundred bucks to to do to do anything pretty much and now it went over to several thousand dollars and uh, and some of the transactions the, the several thousand dollars actually was taken out of accounts and then the transaction failed so which um and you know yuga labs has said they're making everybody whole for failed transactions but uh crazy times and then new lab said well, we're, you know ethereum can't handle this kind of volume so we're gonna have to go elsewhere and create our own layer one so. can't figure out what is worse here <laughs> that it's someone's deliberately doing this to then create their own chain and and uh you know network or that they cut corners and are you know it, it there are both stories are out there or both theories are out yeah. there that they kind of cut corners and are careless and there was one twitter thread where if they took these handful of steps like they could have saved uh, tons of time and, and tons of money um at the other side it's like if it's a if it's a truly a bad actor is that easier to root out than carelessness when thinking you know if you take like the 10,000 foot uh, level with everything going on with regulators and kind of crypto in general like is it worse that it's carelessness and cutting corners or is it worse that there's like a truly bad actor because both are bad i think the truly bad actor gets weeded out quicker constant carelessness is 
to me, though, a longer term issue for crypto because yeah. it implies that they're willing to to cut corners and not do things right when in reality they probably need to be more in the lines than anyone else right now. Yeah. So my question to you is, is Ethereum the one chain to, to rule them all or was it a cool experiment or, you know, can we just move on and find something that actually works? Well, that's a, a, a failure like that. That's something that would never be supported within traditional you know, securities regulated industry. Yeah, I mean, imagine you imagine if Visa and Mastercard or whoever, anyone just said, yeah. "Oh, your, your transaction fee, it's gonna we're gonna we're gonna charge you a couple of thousand bucks." Oh, sorry, the transaction was declined. You know, it's too bad. You're you're out of luck. Um, and now he said they're making them whole, but still, that's it's not a good look. It's the wild wild west still. It's you know, from a regular not a good look. Not a good look. And uh, I mean, that's, that's where I think it's, I think it's, I think Ethereum comes off bad here is like really, you know, that there's lots of layer ones that, uh, that have faster transaction speeds and better throughput. And I'm, uh, you know, I feel I'm, I'm looking forward to what the bankless guys say on their, on their show to listen to this weekend. Well, it's, it's funny because I was listening to them earlier in the week when they were having the discussion about will it end up being a handful of chains that win and dominate? Right. Ethereum, a few others, but they had a guest on from Cosmos. I forget his um, his name. That basically said it's not. It's it's going to be many many chains. It'll be open community. You'll be able to do uh, and develop, and and it shouldn't be a handful of select few that that reach a certain scale and kind of dominate the market. So I think there's still a lot to be figured out here. Um, obviously it's not a good look with some of these things happen, but, um, you know, I, I think there's still much that, uh, will be determined here. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's, let's, it's, a, it's a journey, right? It is a journey. And they, they, this, this well, I think is so, a, some of the up. things that I think, and, and I've talked about some in the industry, like, do they in some ways do themselves a disservice when they make this out to be transformative so quickly? Like sometimes they're talking like, oh, this is going to, everything's going to change in two years. When in reality, it, everything takes longer right. than you think it's going to take. Well, it's clearly not ready for prime time, right? Yeah. That's, 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 what they, that's what they've just shown themselves to be. Anyway, let's move on. I want to talk about Robinhood. Uh, they have started a securities lending program where you can lend out your the stocks that you actually own. Uh, you can lend them out, earn some passive income. This is a standard practice you know, in Schwab, Fidelity, you know, all the big, all the big brokerages uh, have this as a feature, and uh, Robinhood is now launching it as well. And um, you know, it just means uh, people can. I mean, it, you have to have a certain, certain, certain amount of um, asset size to be able to participate. But uh, they're coming, catching up to the big boys. I wonder if so. Be- so I have a question for you, uh, Peter. Since you bring up Schwab, etc., did they pay the account holders when they take those? shares and they, they lend them i think so but i i've never done it so i don't really uh, i don't i don't have a um so from an old school trader it, it used to be that they would not tell you they would just do it and they would reap the gains and, and you would not so when i see this coming from robin hood i'm like yeah that makes sense cut in cut in the the account holder for a piece of the action because when you short sell shares you're supposed to actually have shares to short. And so what you do is you right. you pilfer them from somebody else's accounts. Now, we all know naked shorting 
is a thing and an ongoing issue. Uh, but I kudos to Robinhood on this. This is something I think they're getting right. Yep. Do you think they'll come under greater scrutiny because you know of their issues they've had in the past with leverage and it's a different product? But you know we've seen that the the you know the uh, ruling class in Congress is not exactly the sharpest, and so they might see Robinhood doing this and all right, well you know what is Robinhood doing here without maybe realizing this is pretty common practice. Yep. Well, they probably don't realize it. That's that's correct. But when I was a kid, we we always used to you know, tell them very geeky. You know, if you asked for your share certificates, then they couldn't short them. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm dating myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Did you call your broker? <laughs> yes, I used to. I did. Yes. Okay, uh, let's move on to. Um, more news. This uh, from a firm and Pfizer. They're teaming up on the latest. God, my son is keeping on texting me. It's annoying. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, Pfizer. They they have six million merchants globally for for payments processing, credit card processing, basically. Uh, and um, they are they're a major player. They have Carrot is their enterprise, and they have Clover as their small business. And basically, a firm is going to be fully integrated into Carrot, their enterprise kind of merchant processing system. So the big companies, um, big retailers, will be able to um, have you know, native, you know right in their processing software, they'll be able to say. Um, have a firm integrated in. So I think it's a pretty big deal for a firm. Yep, definitely is. Uh, I think they did a, didn't Fiserv just do another partnership with the payments company as well, yesterday or today? Uh, a firm is clearly a a bigger name than the other one. I forget the name of the uh, company, but um, you know, it's a natural move for a firm. I mean, they you know strike a deal with Walmart, they're in, God knows how many Walmart stores strike a deal with Fiserv. They get in with all the uh, Fiserv customers. I mean, it's just easy way to jump the line and uh, not have to do partnerships or, um, you know, different ways to get into all these different players. Yeah. It's something that just makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. Fiserv, big publicly traded company, firms publicly traded too. It, it really, it makes sense. I think Fiserv is one of the, the top, tech providers for, for banks, et cetera. And to have that native to the, to the service, it's a, it's a no brainer. So you got to do it. FinTech everywhere. Embedded FinTech is the thing right now. Yep. Yep. Indeed. Okay. Moving on to, we're going to the West coast here, California, California governor, Gavin Newsom issues an executive order. Um, it doesn't really say much, unfortunately, but basically it's a, it's for basically saying California is going to create a regulatory framework for crypto. Um, and they're going to be sort of working in, 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 um, in tangent, in like this with the federal government's kind of, uh, they're going to work in lockstep with the federal government. They're going to wait. There is a, um, report that's going to come out pretty soon. I think, uh, from the, the federal government said they're going to, Put, put out a report uh, here in the next month or so, and they're going to wait for that. Then they're going to sort of prepare their own report. Um, of course, every industry, industry groups welcomed the move, but you know, there's nothing really to talk about yet. They're just saying that they want they want California to remain a kind of hotbed of uh, crypto innovation. So, you know, not uh, you know, the devil will be in the details. I'm guessing, but uh, I think overall it's a net positive, wouldn't you say? 
No. No? <laughs> I think California's bollocks it up for, for a couple of years for years now. And I think it's they're looking at Miami and they're seeing all these firms, digital assets and fintechs moving there. And they're saying, hey, guys, wait a minute. Do we want this to happen? I don't know if you know this, but two, one or two years ago, they hired D.D. Myers, who you may recall, who was Clinton's yeah. presser, yeah. to, to mm-hmm. help with that message. Uh, but I haven't seen her say too much. I, I think this is something they should have done years ago. They didn't do it. Uh, California continues to lose uh, fintechs as they shut their offices and say, we don't need offices anymore. But what they're really doing is you know, exiting SF because of the taxes and the problems there with that government. They need to do more. Uh, this is a nice step, but I don't think, you know, maybe it's too little too late. I don't know. I mean, California is still a hotbed of innovation, but they need to do more. And this is, you're right, Peter. They didn't say too much. He said what they're going to do. Well, let's see what the follow-up is. Right. Can we get like legislators doing like the, the executive order thing is just getting old. It's like, all right, we'll write an executive order. This sounds kind of okay. And then, then the devil will be in the details. A report will come out and then it's like, can we get the the lawmakers and, and legislators to to actually start doing the work? Like it feels, and this is for federal and state government. It's like they issue these proclamations and generic language, and then it's like three years pass by. It's like, oh, remember that order back in um, you know May of twenty twenty two? Well, now we've gotten around to writing the rules. Yeah, we well, get the government you elect, and you know, yep. unfortunately, that's how that works out. And- in California is kind of bouncing along right now. They should do more, as should the federal government. So I agree with you, Todd. You right. know, point made there. Absolutely. Okay. Well, moving over, over to the federal government here, we're talking about <laughs> this. This made a lot of news. You wrote about it, Andrew. The SEC has is doubling the headcount of their enforcement units. Um, you know, why don't you give us uh, give us your take there, Andrew? Yeah, well, they're they're um, upping the headcount to fifty for their former cyber unit now it's it's crypto and cyber they, they rebranded it effectively um I, I don't know when they did that it sounds like it's a recent thing but it, it appears to be uh created to pursue more enforcement actions in lieu of regulation and, and legislation you know it's it's you know regulation by enforcement and i i think that that there's two sides of that i understand it because there's a lot going on but the flip side is they have been very slow to create a, you know, bright line rules uh, for the digital asset ecosystem. And I, and I think I was speaking to somebody the other day on this, a very connected individual inside the Beltway type who is prominent in, in the industry, industry. And it was their opinion that the SEC is becoming out of touch and out of pace uh, because they're, they're missing the, you know, the change in the industry. And they're, they're kind of, you know, hunting down the wrong path. I spoke to another person who's another industry insider, very interesting conversation, where their thoughts were that the proposed rulemaking is coming so fast and furious right now that, it's, that it, people are unable to keep pace and they're intertwined. It's kind of like flood the zone. If, if we put so much out there, people aren't going to respond and we're, we're going to do what we want anyway. So it's it's kind of window dressing. And I think that's a little bit disappointing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can say I, I get what you're coming from. I think, um, and you know, Hester Peirce, uh, one of the commissioners of the SEC, yeah. didn't even like the action her agency is taking, and sort of went uh, went on a. Oh, but I think she just, I think it was just a tweet or something saying that she wasn't, a, she just wasn't in agreement. It shouldn't become, it shouldn't be regulation by enforcement. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's all it gives is the appearance that we're here's more cops in force, uh, and it 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 sends the wrong message, and you know that. The, the previous conversation, like the industry wants to work with the regulators. I mean, we talked about this, I think last time you were on Andrew, it's like the, there is a willingness they to do. talk yeah. and it just, it seems like they just keep on missing this, this opportunity of potentially creating the right framework that they'll both probably dislike and it'll be probably the right balance. Right. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Interesting story in the in the Wall Street Journal, which sort of goes against our second story of the day. But uh, basically, the title is "NFT Sales of Flatlining," and they have a point. Like sales of NFTs have fallen. They said it was two hundred and twenty-five thousand a week in September last year. Now it's down to nineteen thousand a week. That's a more than ninety percent drop in volume. But we also obviously saw the huge NFT, um, you know, sale over the weekend that crashed Ethereum. Um, you know, Coinbase is just releasing theirs. I think, you know, my my feeling is I'd love to get your guy, your guys' take is that I think people have, people had no idea how to price this stuff and priced it a little bit ridiculously um, for something that uh, you know didn't really have any intrinsic value and uh, and now that some of those things have fallen in price dramatically. But I think, and I personally feel like NFTs are here to stay, um, but you know, we don't know what they're worth. I would agree with that, but I mean, we went through this with crypto and and big, the price of Bitcoin and went back in 2018. I mean, it would it it's figuring this it's figuring itself out. There's going to be cycles of of crazy demand. There'll be this Yuga Labs and and there'll be others like the Coinbase. I I think is now open to everyone. Um, and then there'll be a bunch of garbage and crap, and then all of a sudden, in a couple of years, it'll have figured and kind of settled itself and it'll be kind of this constant uh, part of the market, whether in music or art or uh, ticket sales or, or whatever it might be that end up using NFTs. But I think it's still figuring itself out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this ICO 3.0? I mean, <laughs> ICOs, IEOs, you know, NFTs. I don't, I don't, I think that's kind of harsh. I don't think NFTs are ICO 3.0, but you're right, Todd. It's got to sort its, itself out. Um, there are some questions regarding, you know, regulatory issues that um, may cause some problems. Um, I, I don't know if you guys were following that the ATS rulemaking. Some people think that that is targeting the NFT sector directly, yeah. uh, even though they don't mention it at all. The SEC, um, but it, it's going to it's going to take some time. And an interesting note is that uh, um, I don't know if you saw that that Elon Musk uh, tweeted out, uh, kind of trolled the NFT space because he he changed his his mug on his Twitter page to to be the board apes thing, and and I think it was Christie's or whoever was organizing the sale, you know, asked him to you know to to not put it up without permission, and he said looks kind of fungible. <laughs> and, yeah, I saw that tweet. Yeah, and you know, leave it to Elon, and then he took it down. But um, right. I agree with what you said, Todd. It's still being, you know, figured out and sorted through. 
Yeah. Well, I think my, my, my personal feeling is that it's um, NFTs with utility are going to really be the hot product, which is going to be you know, potentially yeah. music, potentially you know, the art that can get resold and things like that, where there's, there is a, there's something there, there's a smart contract in place that really makes it, there's an inherent value in, in, the, in the object itself. So could also really reshape, like think of like the scalping and the, um, the exorbitant prices. Sometimes you see with tickets, Yep. like, bringing nfts into it like you can max that they can't go 15 percent above uh you know uh, the the face value and and it, it could really hurt some of these secondary markets or at least some that make like exorbitant amount of money on on some of the things yeah aren't, aren't those nfts already right they're, yeah, pretty much. I mean, effectively, they're just not on on blockchain. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing they're talking about making. You know, they're saying all concert tickets, all sporting event tickets, will eventually yeah. be a an NFT that is. Um, I guess you could put a couple more guardrails in it, but I mean, it's a it's very much the same thing. Okay, um, moving along. This is another one you did, Andrew. I thought this is really interesting. The SEC SEC climate risk disclosures. I've been following this a little bit, and. Uh, yeah, the SEC is basically putting a. They're in a comment period right now, saying, you know, they've got a, they've got a proposal to have new climate risk disclosures um, that need to, you know, be that that the investors are going to be um, you know, given information about climate risk on on, on some of the on, on companies that um, have, you know, exposure. And um, it's been interesting. Like, there's been thousands of comments already received. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, it's falling along party lines as far as who's for and against these uh, disclosures. But uh, what are your, what's your take, Andrew? Yeah, this is really interesting. I, I personally, I, I think the climate is very important, but at the same time, I don't personally believe that, that hoisting additional disclosure on a, a reporting firm, a publicly traded firm uh, creates a lot of investor, investor value. You know, you invest because, you, you want to see gains in, in your investment. At least most people do. Uh, there are some firms out there that disclose their, their climate impact and doing something about that. And I think for people for that's interesting, that's important to, they, the market will drive them there. They will head there naturally. And I'd rather see a, a market solution as opposed to a, a statutory solution. That's my opinion. What we're seeing here is again, I'll reflect back to what I said earlier about uh, the SEC flooding the zone with proposed regulations. A lot of the, the people who were industry focused or business focused said, hey, this is not enough time. We need more time on this because you, you gave us 490, 500 pages to review. We can't get through all 210 questions right now. And, and I think that that's a, that's a valid point. Um, beyond that, you're right, Peter. It aligns uh, with you know party line pretty much. Although you can't always tell you know which side people people are on. But some of those letters, and there's a lot of them, are are, are fascinating. Uh, they're very interesting, and then some of them are, are kind of crazy. Um, so there's there's entertainment for all. Um, I, I I I hope that the SEC takes into consideration uh, the more thoughtful perspectives. But I doubt they will. I just had um, someone on my podcast who runs a company called Aqua Oso, which is provides data to banks to to underwrite risk on on climate and, and severe weather events. 
and and he said that the U.S. is probably five to seven years behind Europe on on um, regulatory issues related to the climate, uh, and could be further behind when it comes to the private market. Um, you know, kind of uh, figuring itself out, I guess, is a way to say it. But um, yeah, I agree. Like it, it feels like it's a bit burdensome. Like you're forcing companies to do something when, when investors who want that stuff can, can get it to the places that they need to get it. I don't know. I would say to, to Aquosa is that uh, we may be behind in, in that type of regulation, but we're 20 to 30 years ahead in innovation. So when you compare the innovation uh, market in the United States in contrast to, to any market in Europe, pretty much, uh, you know, we're, we're you know, leaps and bounds above and there's a lot of value there and i think that europe should focus on both sides of that coin and look yep. and see how they can foster innovation as opposed to you know regulating our innovative firms uh which i think is kind of counterproductive to everybody yep. but that's my two cents yeah i mean all the, all, the, all the big tech companies are in the u.s i mean that's when there's some i mean we just saw the the whole apple pay thing in europe which is yeah yeah, they don't like they don't like our big tech companies over there. Anyway, well, time for one more quick story, Andrew. Another one that you wrote on uh, some of the crowdfunding platforms getting into trouble here. What happened there? Um, so I just lost my video here. So th- this is something that that came in today. Um, it was it was not unanticipated. Uh, in brief, in November of last year, rules were approved for. Uh, pan-European securities crowdfunding issuers in euros across all member states. Now, the, the fine print was is each platform needed to be approved by their uh, relevant authority within the country that they're based or want to be regulated in. Well, that created a big problem that nobody really anticipated out of the gate because all of a sudden you have to go back to you know, uh, the, the, the you know, uh, German regulator and say, hey guys, you need to fix your rules to apply to these European rules. And the German regulators say, what, what are you talking about? Uh, and uh, regulators don't always move really quickly. And so you've had the French and the Germans who both have the largest securities crowdfunding sectors uh, in the EU say, wait a minute, we need one more year to work on this, to get this to work. So that's going to happen. There's, there's a, there's a, a section in the actual regulation that allows that. I don't see any reason why the EU or the European Commission will deny that. So it'll be another year. On the flip side, for the platforms that have already received approval, one, um, that means that they kind of, you know, I think, I think the way it shakes out is they still have to kind of go through the, the national process, which is fine. Right. Uh, but it will delay things. Anyway, we, we're out of time. We'll have to leave it there. Andrew, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Thank you, Todd, Thanks, as always. Before we go, quick reminder, we are now less than three weeks away for the biggest fintech event of the year to date, Lender wow. Fintech USA, happening in New York, May 25th and 26th. Go buy a ticket if you haven't done so already. Prices go up tomorrow at midnight. So that's, this is your last chance to get a discounted ticket. Don't miss. Don't miss yeah. out. Lena.com is, is, is how you do it. Okay. Thanks again, guys. We'll be back same time next week. See ya. See ya. Take care.